Let's read the following passages from God's holy word. First of all, Proverbs 23, 19 to 35. And this is God's word, beginning at verse 19. Hear, my son, and be wise, and guide your heart in the way. Do not mix with wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. My son, give me your heart, and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit, and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who go in search of mixed wine. Do not look on the wine when it is red when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you'll be like one of those, one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies on the top of the mast saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When I awake, that may I seek another drink. And then we'll turn to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, where we'll read the verses 1 to 9 and 18 to 23. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him so, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some thirty, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And then we'll read from verse 18 on to 23, where the Lord Jesus explains that parable to his disciples. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. 
For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So far, the word of God. The text for the sermon this morning is Proverbs 23, verse 23, the first part of verse 23. We'll read that again. And there, the Spirit says the following, buy the truth and do not sell it. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know if you've ever read John Bunyan's uh, Pilgrim's Progress. Worth reading, and I would, I would recommend it. It's an allegorical story of the life of the true Christian on the way to glory. And that it describes then the, the, the journey of a man called Christian to the celestial city. A well-known passage in that book describes the travel of Christian and his, in a, a friend he met on the way called Faithful, that they travel through the town of Vanity. And there is a market there called Vanity Fair. At this fair are available for sale all kinds of lusts and pleasures desirable to the sinful nature. And the Lord wants his people to be in this world, you see, but not of it. Well, Christian and faithful pass through that town vanity, and through the vanity fair, and the people are amazed at the clothing they wear, different from the showy clothes worn by others there. Something for us to think about already. And they're surprised at the way they talk, the language they use. They don't engage in a lot of vain talk like the people there in the town called Vanity. And Christian and faithful also stand out because apparently they don't desire the vain and gaudy and sinful things that are all for sale there in Vanity Fair. And when one of the vendors there asked them what they would like to buy, they say, we only buy the truth. And that's a reference to our text. John Bunyan knew his scripture. And that's a striking reply, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. In the middle of all that vanity and that temptation there at Vanity Fair, they say they only buy the truth. And does that reply also reflect our attitude as we journey toward eternal life through this world? Is the truth really more valuable to us than all the other vanities that are available in the world we live in today? And there are a lot of vanities, aren't there? 
things designed to keep us pleasured and entertained. New movies every week. I read it was a disappointment this summer. Not enough blockbusters. Blockbuster movies this summer. New video games all the time. To be entertained. Fancier digital inventions. Swankier clothes and so on. Cooler. I read an editorial not long ago about the need for more stuff in our society. People want stuff. They build houses to keep their stuff. And they build cars and they build garages on these houses. And there's no room for their car because of their stuff. So easy to be drawn along by that whole culture of more stuff for pleasure and entertainment. So much so that we have little regard anymore for what we should really be buying in the first place. The truth. And I preach to you the word of God in our text with the text itself as theme this morning, buy the truth and do not sell it. And we'll pay attention to three things then. First, a priceless treasure, the truth. An urgent exhortation, buy it. And a serious warning, do not sell it. First of all, this priceless treasure, the truth. The spirit in our text says, buy the truth. And we know what the truth is, right? The truth is the total opposite of the lie. And our trouble after the fall, after our fall into sin, is that we're prone to go for the lie. In, in paradise, man believed the lie rather than the truth. And so by nature, we're under the power of the lie here. The Lord Jesus said to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil who does not speak the truth because there is no truth in him. The devil is the original deceiver. He does nothing but lie. Even when he quotes the Bible, he takes it out of context so that it means something different from what it really says. And he lies. He did that, for instance, when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. And he lies when he presents sin as something to be desired and something that won't hurt you, harm you. He presents serving God, on the other hand, as something hard, difficult, worshiping God as something tire tiresome. Or he tries to make you doubt what the Bible says as if there are glaring contradictions in the Bible. Or he tries to convince people that they're such sinners Christ would never want to save them. He, why would he want them? Our misfortune is, brothers and sisters, that we're more inclined to believe the devil than God in his word. That's our, our nature. And the result is that the world is full of lies today. You wouldn't want to count the number of lies and untruths that get thrown out into our world every day. Think of the deceit disseminated on social media today. 
and the news, fake news, they call it. How often aren't true events presented in an unbalanced, distorted way? So that they mean something different. Lies are even proclaimed on many pulpits as if it's God's truth. Thus says the Lord. That any truth is spoken in this world at all is only because of God himself. He still holds back the total flood of lies that wants to inundate and destroy this world. He alone. It's only because of his favor that the power of the lie is tempered yet and there is some recognition of the truth in this world yet. That's why fathers and mothers still teach their children to speak the truth and not to lie. That's why there are judges in this world who require people to speak the truth and nothing but the truth in court. You see, life would be impossible on earth if God did not hold back the lie. Well, over against the lie and the power of the lie, the Spirit says in our text, by the truth. And what truth is meant here? Well, you have to think here of what the Lord Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 17. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And that's actually the, the truth that the Spirit has in mind here in our text, that truth contained in God's Word, the inspired Word of God, the Bible. And why is the Bible, the Gospel, the truth? Well, because God is the God of truth, and the Spirit gives testimony to that truth. He's the first author of Holy Scripture. Pilate asked Jesus at his trial, what is truth? And there are many, many peoples today who wonder the same thing. What is truth? Many religions have holy books that are supposed to contain the truth. How do we know which one has the truth, people say? In fact, they say that, that every religion has some truth to it. Christianity, Buddhism, Islam, etc. All those religions need to listen to each other and learn from each other. And maybe then we can come closer to the truth. But the Lord Jesus Christ in his high priestly prayer simply says, your word is truth. How do we know that the Bible is the truth? Well, we confess in Article 5 of the Belgian Confession something very interesting. We believe without any doubt that the Bible is the truth because the Holy Spirit witnesses in our hearts that it is from God. What is that testimony of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. Well, the Holy Spirit works, works in us in such a way that we're convinced without any doubt that this is the truth from God, from God himself. Now that conviction by the Holy Spirit in our, does not enter our hearts mystically so that we suddenly hear a voice that says, this is the truth. And if the Spirit works that conviction in our heart, that doesn't mean that we never, after, never deal with any doubts anymore ourselves because we're still weak people. 
No, the Spirit works that conviction in our hearts through prayer, ongoing prayer, and through being busy with the Word. In other words, that we continually pray, Lord God, let your Spirit continually work in my heart so that I love you and accept your word as the truth above all. And then also that we open that word and faithfully study it. Bible study season is on the horizon here. This is an incentive to do that. Study the word and listen to the preaching of it every Sunday. Exert ourselves to know it and understand it. And you know something? The more we do that, the more the Spirit then convinces us that what this word says is the truth. It's, it's easy to doubt. A lot of doubts creep into our hearts all the time. Our house, hearts are prone to question it. And the devil does his best to cause us to doubt it, maybe by listening to other people who, who totally deny it, and have all kinds of reasonings for, about that. Or we read other writings which question the Bible. And the worst of all is, if you get those doubts that you leave the Bible closed, then you really end up with a lot of doubts. But congregation, what we need to do when those doubts creep in and are, are forced on us, then we need to be prayerfully busy with the Word of God And the more we do that, the more we realize again, this is God's word. It couldn't have been written by somebody somewhere on a mountain or so. And then you say in your heart with the Lord Jesus, your word is truth, O Lord. And with that conviction in our hearts, that this is the truth, we'll see it as an incredible treasure. Something to be desired. It's the light of God in a dark world and in hearts that are of themselves also so dark. And congregation, do we fully appreciate the value of the Bible, of God's word, that we have it Do we appreciate its value? That we can have it and read it in our homes, study it together, wrestle over its meaning, hear it proclaimed in church, have it taught also in Christian school, in a world awash with lies, a world that wonders like Pilate, what is truth? We have it here in the Word of God, the Gospel. It tells us who God is in His glory, power, majesty, righteousness, and especially also in His mercy, His compassion, His love for sinners. And it also tells us the truth about ourselves, how we were created in God's image, how we fell into sin, how we became condemnable before Him, where all the problems in this world come from. And then it also tells us the truth about God's Son, Jesus Christ, 
and how in him God has opened a way in which his justice is satisfied, his mercy is magnified, and people can be saved from condemnation and eternal death. Salvation through the perfect righteousness and satisfaction of God's only begotten Son. What a treasure that word is for those who believe. 500 years ago, Martin Luther once stated, you need to search for Christ on every page of the Bible. Read the books of Moses, for instance, all those sacrifices and ceremonies described there are full of the gospel of your Savior, the Savior from sin. Isn't that a wonderful truth to treasure? And John Calvin stated in his institutes a little bit later that Christ himself comes to us in the clothing of Scripture. That's, that's how Christ comes to sinners, via his word. And that's why he also once said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth in person. And our text says, by this truth. And that brings us to the second part of the sermon, an urgent exhortation by the truth. Buying, you think of a, of a store or a marketplace, right? In Pilgrim's Progress, Vanity Fair was a marketplace where all kinds of things were for sale. You could find there anything you might need to live in sin and in unrighteousness. Treasures and pleasures to make you forget God and his promises and to live out your deepest desires without any breaks. Christian and his friend Faithful had to walk through Vanity Fair too, and they paid no attention to all those things. They turned their faces away from them because they knew that the world and all its lust is passing away, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. But what our text is saying, there's another market. The market of free grace. The market of the gospel. And in that market, you can buy the truth of God's word. And when you come to church, you enter that market of free grace. And the minister is the salesman through whom Christ invites you to buy the truth. And the Apostle Paul writes 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, about himself and other preachers of the word. He says there, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. And we could say that we are salesmen for Christ. God pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Every Sunday is market day here market of free grace and so that call goes out to you today too come by the truth the greatest treasure imaginable is being held out to you here everlasting joy with God in Christ buy it how much does it cost you might say well on the one hand I can tell you it doesn't cost a thing and that's the beauty of it the Old Testament prophet Isaiah called Israel to buy that truth. And he cried out, Isaiah 55, verse 1, Come, 
buy wine and milk without money and without price. The truth of the gospel is free, given by grace, and that's because Jesus Christ has paid fully for it with his life, his blood. You don't need to add anything to what he paid for it. And that's wonderful for people to hear, people who know that they're just poor sinners, beggars in the sight of heaven. They could reach out an empty hand and receive it. Think of the tax collector who prayed in the temple and beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He didn't offer anything like the Pharisee did. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he went home justified, while the Pharisee, who figured he had lots to offer God, went home as he came, full of pride. To buy the truth in the market of grace, just know yourself a poor sinner. For as the apostle says, though Christ was rich, he became poor in order to make poor sinners rich forever. So on the one hand, the gospel truth doesn't cost you anything. The content of that gospel, Jesus Christ and what he did, doesn't cost you a cent. On the other hand, though, it does cost you everything. Your life. You need to lose your life to receive the life promised in the gospel. The Lord Jesus once said, Luke 9, for whoever desires to keep his life, and our sinful nature wants us to keep it the way it is, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever sells it to buy the truth will save it. Think of the parable of the treasure hidden in the field. The man who found that treasure sold everything he had to buy the field. And we need to be willing to give up all our sinful desires and our self-righteousness and our pride in order to make the gospel truth our own. Only beggars want it here in the market of free grace. You can only accept God's grace in Christ with an empty hand. But that means you have to give up your own life, your own sinful desires. Because it's one or the other. It's all paid for Christ or it's not paid for at all. By the truth, the text says. You realize, congregation, that it comes down to believing in Jesus Christ. Hey, that buying means believing in Christ, who is the wisdom and truth of God in person, the content of the word in person. And buying means embracing him as your only hope and salvation and joy. When you buy something, you get a receipt. How do you know that you have bought the truth? If you buy something precious, you put your heart on it and you take care of it. Well, if you have purchased the truth of the gospel, you love it and keep it in your heart. You fight to keep it with you. Then you love God's word 
And you take the gospel of Christ wherever you can, especially on Sundays then in worship. You'll be there. Then you love Christ who is the word made flesh and you want to know him more and more all the time to grow in him, to follow him. And then it's no longer the baubles of the world that ultimately draw your attention, but the treasures of heaven is where your heart is set on. The treasures of heaven where your Savior has gone before you. You look forward to that. That's your receipt. If your heart is set on that. We come to the third part. A serious warning. Don't sell the truth. You can buy the truth. The text says you can also sell it again. What does that mean? Can you lose your salvation in Christ again as a believer? Do you accept the grace of God in Christ? Can you lose it again? Can true believers fall away again? Well, we know, congregation from the Bible, that's not the case. Speaking from the point of view of election, it's not the case. Jesus said, no one can pluck those who are his from his hand. So what does the text mean then? It's speaking covenantally. And there is a condition in the covenant. It means don't squander away the truth of the gospel. Don't just be a looker at the market of grace, but a real buyer. You see, you can sell the truth by being a covenant child and not accepting the promises of the gospel as your own, as your life and salvation. And that can happen when people of promise sit in church every Sunday, hear the truth proclaimed, but it goes in one ear and out the other. Like that seed in the parable of the sower, which we read. That seed that lands on hard-packed soil and is picked away by the birds before it even has a chance to take root. You can sit in church then completely distracted by all kinds of thoughts about what you're going to do in this coming week. Or about the worries of your daily life. And then you can't concentrate on what is being said. And then you sing and it doesn't sink in what you're singing. And the birds have picked then the seed of the truth away before it couldn't take root in your heart. That's selling the truth. You can also sell the truth by simply despising and rejecting it. We live in an age in, a lot of, in which a lot of people believe that the truth is what you experience, what you feel. Nobody else can tell you what the truth is, also not the Bible or any confession or any office bearer. The truth is what you experience or what you feel. And that attitude of today can also affect covenant people, young covenant people who live in the middle of this culture, such a culture. And so this is also an age of church withdrawals. People leave for maybe evangelical churches which appeal to people's feelings and emotions or no church at all. I just feel good out there. The truth of the word is just too restrictive or too unattractive, too undesirable for them. There is no desire to lose one's life in order to gain it. That's selling the truth. 
It could also be that people sat in church with tears in their eyes and were moved by sermons, but those things passed by. In time, there was no real depth to their faith. It was like seeds sown in the rocks. In Jesus' parable, it sprang up, looked good, had no depth of root. And when the sun shone and it grew hot for those people, difficult, that withered away, that seed. And when temptations came, their faith wilted. When there was some problem in the church, they gave up. That's selling the truth. Or there can be covenant people whose hearts are more and more set on the riches of this world. Covetousness and acquisitiveness can be such a danger for, for us in this materialistic culture in which we live. And it's nothing new. Nothing new. The Apostle Paul wrote in his second letter to Timothy about Demas, who loved, who left the apostle left the church because he loved this present world. Paul had to deal with it too. And Damas had been a fellow worker in the gospel, Paul says. And Paul had expected much of him. But working for the gospel became too much for him. Required too much of his own life. He wanted to have things. He became materialistic like the seed that fell among thorns and was choked by this deceitfulness of riches. That's selling the truth. You give it up for other things. You see, you see what a serious warning in our text then? Do not sell the truth. Don't sell those rich promises which the Lord signified and sealed on your forehead in baptism in order to get some cheap beads and baubles that this world has to offer and which go nothing beyond this life only last temporarily nothing that's available in this world is worth giving up for the truth of the gospel for Jesus Christ it would be like selling diamonds for a penny You'd be selling the truth for the lie. Selling your freedom for slavery to the father of lies. No, better to pray with the psalmist. Psalm 43, stanza 3, which we'll sing right after the sermon. Send forth, O God of my salvation, your light and truth to be my guide. And you'll see it as a blessing from God then if you learn to buy the truth. Make it your own through faith. Grow in it. Keep it. That truth will set you free from the power of the lie and the father of lies because Jesus Christ overcame the lie and the father of lies. Jesus Christ has overcome to set you free. Oh, it'll always remain a battle against the lie in this life and against the deceit that lives in our own hearts yet. But our hope and joy is that in the future, Jesus Christ, the truth, will come here and set us free forever from the lie in the celestial city where Christian eventually arrived in Pilgrim's Progress, the new Jerusalem 
where nothing will ever enter that defiles or causes abomination or a lie, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. Amen.